So, hello, welcome back to another episode of the Self Development with Tactics podcast or the Me podcast or the Me I'm <laughs> watching videos podcast. Um, today we are going through another video by, or it, actually a, another podcast episode. It, it is very, very meta to be honest, you know, having a podcast around podcasts. Maybe there's going to be a, a podcast around podcasts listening to podcasts. Anyway. <laughs> Dr. Nolan Williams, Psychedelics and Neurostimulation for Brain Rewiring, aka Therapy, Human Lab Podcast, episode number 93, and um, Andrew Huberman, the Andrew Huberman Lab Podcast. Um, this is basically everything that I know, for whatever reason, I should actually check that out. <laughs> I don't see the date, um, but I'll give you whatever I have there. There we go, there you see it. Um, yeah, this is quite everything that I have. And we're gonna skip through a few of the things. I do not want to go through the whole one. I also do not necessarily find that too important in terms of, I mean, you can just watch the whole video by him or listen to the whole podcast by him. This is not what I should be doing. So it is basically about psychedelics and how they can be used for therapy. Let's see that you said um, is I'd like to focus on a bit more because I think we hear that the brain and the heart are connected, mm -hmm. but you described, I believe, uh, a direct relationship between areas of the brain associated with emotion mm -hmm. and heart rate. Yes. And that makes perfect logical sense to me. But I think um, at the same time, many people out there probably think of the relationship between the, the heart and the mind as kind of woo or kind of a, mm -hmm. a soft biology, but here you're talking about an actual physical connection yep. between uh, what area of the brain is it? The, 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 you know, the first place for the stimulation. I didn't know about that as well. So by the way, you know, just, <laughs> just pointing that out. goes is called the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the sense of control kind of governor of the brain. Mm -hmm. And then it'll, and then what we know is that when you use a magnet, use kind of what we call Faraday's law, this idea of um, using a magnetic pulse to induce uh, an electrical current in electrically conducting substances. So in this case, brain tissue, but not skull or sc scalp or any of that or hair, you avoid all that, just the brain tissue. Then you have a direct depolarization of cortical neurons, you know, the surface of the brain's neurons in this dorsolateral prefrontal and if you do that in the actual scanner, which we can do, you can see that that distributes down into the anterior cingulate and the insula and the amygdala. And ultimately, the tract goes into something called the nucleus tractus solitarius and ultimately into the vagus nerve into the heart. So that the heart uh, very consistently seems to be the end organ of the uh, dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. If you measure heart rate, in standard ways that cardiologists measure heart rate and you stimulate over this left dorsolateral, you get a deceleration of the heart rate and it's very time locked to the stimulation. So it's a two second train of stimulation. At one second, you see the deceleration. It goes down about 10 beats per minute and then it'll drift back up and there's a break for eight seconds on the stimulation it drifts back up and the stimulation goes back in and then the heart rate goes back down. And so you see the heart rate just do this. 10 beats per minute every train. And so we know if you do that over visual cortex, you don't get that, or motor cortex, you don't get any of those findings. It's really specific to this kind of control region of the brain. And so 
yeah, it seems to, you know, it's our work. Other uh, other folks work, Martin Arns in, in, um, in, in Europe, uh, the Netherlands work showing the same connection. So I think it's been repl- replicated like four or five times. So you mentioned left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. Anytime I hear about lateralization of function, I get particularly curious yeah. um, because obviously we have two uh, mirror symmetric sides of the brain. Yep. Um, there are you know, rare exceptions to this, like the pineal and things of that sort uh, that are only, there is only one uh, pineal. Um, what is special about the left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex? Does this have anything to do with handedness, right hand or left hand? Because we know right hand and left handedness has a lot to do with lateralization of function for language, um, a topic for another time. But um, why do you think the left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex would be? Wait, does it make a difference? Does it make a difference whether I'm left-handed or right-handed in terms of my 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 brain? So the, the question is, if this is the case, yeah. Um, still watching video will pause soon. I don't want that. <laughs> um, if this is the case, is it a benefit for everyone that is left-handed? Or is it a downside? I would actually, for whatever reason, I don't know why, I would go for it is a good thing just because it is more rare you know there are not that many people left-handed versus right-handed really interesting anyway connected to the heart uh in this way yeah yeah i think so so left dorsolateral um uh you know is is thought to be the the side that when you excite it when you kind of um do excitatory stimulation potentiating sort of stimulation that you can reduce depressive symptoms and uh, a guy by the name of Mike Fox at Harvard has demonstrated that if you have um, strokes in the brain that um, that cause depression and you put them on the human connectome uh, 100 you know thousand patient map and you ask the question what they're all functionally connected to left dorsolateral if you take lesions that cause mania in individuals and you put those all on the human connectome map and ask what they're all the one common area they're all connected to, it's the right dorsolateral. And so there seems to be a hemispheric, you know, uh, you, you know, balancing of mood uh, between these two brain regions. And we know this from an experimental standpoint, too, because you can take individuals with depression and you can excite the left or you can inhibit the right. And they, they're both antidepressant. You can um, excite the right. And that's anti-manic in some studies. And so this idea that there is this hemispheric balancing of mood is, is quite interesting, right? It's incredibly interesting. And just so um, people know, if, um, if you're curious what the connectome is, a connectome is a term that was built out of this notion of genomes uh, being a large uh, collections of sequencing and mapping of genes. They're proteomes of proteins, of uh, connectomes as uh, so-called connectomics of connections between neurons. So the human connectome project is ongoing. Um, and I find that incredible that within the connectome project, they can identify these regularities of right versus left or lateral prefrontal cortex, especially since, um, I've looked at a fair number of brains, um, from humans, not certainly not as many as you have. Uh, and if you look at the architecture, the layers, the cell types, and even the neurochemicals of which cells are expressing, say, dopamine or serotonin or receiving input from areas that make dopamine or serotonin, they don't look that different on the right and left side. And yet here we're talking about 
a um, kind of an accelerator and a break, if you yeah, will, that's right. on um, on depression and mania, using what, at least by my eye and I think other people's eye, look to be basically the same set of, um, of bits, the same parts list, yeah. more or less. So what gives the, these properties um, to the right and left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex? Is it the inputs they receive? Is this something that we learn during development or do you think that we come into the world with these um, hemispheric biases? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, and, and you know it hasn't been worked out. Which your original question was around in a left-handed individual, which, as you know, twenty-five percent of those folks end up having a right brain dominance, or one percent of right-handed people have a right brain dominance if it's flipped, right? And that you know, unfortunately, that study still hasn't been done at the level because that would be probably pretty helpful for teasing some of this out. But you know, it's it's. Um, it's still, you know, it's still being sorted out, right? We we know enough to know this phenomenon exists because we can use TMS as a probe and do this sort of these sorts of manipulations. But um, to my knowledge, there hasn't been anybody that's gotten so interested in it that they've been able to get a mechanism of why that is. But uh, but it, you know, it's kind of empirically true in the sense that you can push and pull on those systems or in this in the case of, of strokes that folks have and then you kind of get their brains and, and their brain images and look at where the strokes landed those kind of causal bits of information point to this this um, asymmetry interesting well in that case going with what we do know that stimulation of dorsolateral prefrontal cortex slows the heart rate down mm -hmm. transiently but yep. slows it down and seems to alleviate at least some symptoms of depression mm -hmm. leads me to the question of why would that be the case is it does it tell us anything fundamental about depression that uh anxiety is inherent to depression i think a faster heart rate is you know part and parcel with uh with mm -hmm. uh, with uh, anxiety um in my laboratory we've studied fear a bit in animals yeah. and in humans and we um, often observe brachycardia where somebody or an animal is afraid of something and rather than the heart rate speeding up it actually slows down mm -hmm. something that most people don't uh, think about or recognize but um given that stimulation of dorsolateral prefrontal cortex slows the heart rate down and can alleviate depressive symptoms and that there are other ways to slow the heart down i have two questions what do you think this tells us about the basic architecture of depression mm -hmm. and its physiology at the yeah. level of the heart and does the circuit run in the opposite direction too? If one were to have or find other ways to slow the heart rate down, say with a beta blocker, mm -hmm. um, does that help alleviate depression? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So the um, I'll answer the second question first. Um, so we know that um, in there are ongoing trials of this. Uh, if you stimulate in the vagus nerve um, in an implanted vagus nerve stimulator, you can actually um, you know have this the afferent um, parts of the, the vagus, um, you project ultimately up to the DLPFC through the cingulate, through these anterior insula. So that same, that obviously the same tract, right? And you can uh, stimulate there and alleviate depression, which seems very unusual, right? You're stimulating a cranial nerve down in the neck, but if you can get up into the brain, you actually can improve depressive symptoms. And so, you know, more evidence that this is a, a kind of a whole track and system and um, if you stimulate in part of that system, it appears that you can. Which for me sounds like, well, basically a track uh, or a street, street with two lines. You're having one down the line and one up the line. 
So it actually kind of makes sense that I can go both ways. You know, if my brain can go downwards, why shouldn't it also be able to, you know, do it reversely? And what I find particularly interesting about that, um, I mean, what are the physical symptoms that I'm having or that, that one is having that is depressed? Could we, and you know, this might be totally here about this, um, could we uh, deal with it in the, the opposite, opposite way? Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it might actually be very specific for certain people. You know, it might be the case that some people are having an, um, a higher heart rate. It, it might be the case that some people are, um, I mean, of course, feeling worse and, uh, but, but, you know, maybe they have abdominal pain and, and whatever, not just those, those signs, those, uh, those ways in which depression shows itself besides, of course, you know, feeling bad mentally. Um, but then, you know, what about, I don't know when I'm having headaches, you know, doing something about those headaches, can they then also, I mean, lead to just, you know, feeling better about myself because I'm not having this issue, which, you know, of, of course kind of makes sense already, you know, when I'm, I'm feeling better physically, I'm probably also feeling better mentally, but, uh, but yeah, you know, it's actually quite interesting. And uh, I don't want to say obvious, but because I am no neuroscientist, I am no biologist, I'm doing my bachelor in fucking architecture so it's completely something completely different but uh yeah and uh improve mood what if i were somebody who did not have a stimulating electrode in my vagus nerve and i uh, was dealing with minor depression and i decided i wanted to take some other approach to slow my heart rate down via the vagus for instance um exhale emphasized breathing or Mm -hmm. deliberately slow cadence breathing, mm-hmm. um, things of that sort. Is there any evidence that behavioral interventions of those kinds um, can alleviate depression or some symptoms of depression? And is there any evidence that it does indeed feed back to the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex to achieve some of that alleviation? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's there's a number of studies um, implicating DLP, the dorsolateral and uh, and say, you know, meditation, uh, mindfulness, that sort of thing. And, and they're small studies, but but pretty well designed studies suggesting that behavioral interventions in mild depression actually work quite well. There seems to be a volitional threshold for depression where at some point you you start losing it. You, you go from being completely in total volition to having kind of semi volition. You have thoughts that you really have a hard time controlling and that sort of thing. And when you go through that threshold at some point, it gets harder and harder for those sorts of things to kind of kick in and work. And the extreme form of that is catatonia, right? Where people in a very severe form of depression get kind of stuck motorically, right? And they obviously can't, they have no control. And so, um, or, or very limited control. And so, you know, I think there's a threshold in which these sorts of interventions will work. Exercise seems to really be a good treatment for for mild depression and it may work through the mechanism you're describing right as as we all know you know athletes hold a lower resting heart rate mm-hmm. um, than folks that, that aren't you know if you're if you were an athlete you had a lower resting heart rate you stopped you know exercising and a couple of years later your resting heart rate in many cases goes up right and so 
maybe that's um, maybe that's part of the process. I'm not aware of any studies specifically um, looking at dorsolateral prefrontal um, physiology pre post exercise, but it would be a great study. I think that would be really helpful to understanding this, especially if you had a correlation of changes and kind of lowering of say heart rate with mood improvements. Um, there, there's been a lot of work with heart rate variability mm-hmm. and, um, and depression and, you know, studies are, are kind of point towards it. It's not, not every study is, 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 you know, um, positive for this, but, um, but quite a few studies say basically that lower heart rate variability is, uh, associated with, you know, moderate to severe depression. Um, and that may be part of that mechanism of that heart brain, uh, risk. So I'm both intrigued and a little bit perplexed by this relationship between heart rate and depression. On the face of it, I would think of depression as depressed. So lower heart rate might make somebody more depressed. You even mm-hmm. mentioned catatonia or somebody that just doesn't seem motivated or excited to do anything. Yeah. I think of mania as elevated heart rate and, yeah. and being excited. On the other hand, I realize that anxiety, which you know brings about ideas as elevated heart rate, is also built into depression. Which brings me back to what you said earlier, which is that when we say depression, are we really talking about four or five different? Yeah, that's right. Um, disorders, yep, uh, to, that's right. for lack of a better word. And for what percentage of people that have depression does some approach to reducing heart rate work, whether or not it's stimulation of the dorsal, left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex uh, by way of transcranial magnetic stimulation or by taking a beta blocker mm-hmm. or by stimulating the vagus. Uh, can we throw out a number, a rough number? Does that help 30%, 50%? Yeah. How per- how long lasting is that that relief? Yeah, and to be clear, the um, the deceleration of the heart rate is in the moment when the stimulation is happening, mm-hmm. but it's not something that's necessarily maintained chronically. It's more of an indicator that you're in the right network more than it's than it appears to be itself, you know, central to the mechanism. The heart rate variability piece may be and there's some studies that link the two but the actual deceleration seems to be much more of a marker that you're in the right system but you know it very well could be that the heart rate system and the mood system just sit next to each other and the stimulation hits both if you look at how much of the variance in the mood is explained by the heart rate deceleration it's not it's not a huge you know it's not a huge amount right so it only explains um, a small percentage and so it's it's unlikely that simply decel- you know, simply reducing the heart rate, and in fact, you know, for many years, propranolol and these sorts of drugs actually were implicating causing depression, and so that that's been kind of debunked. But it's it's unlikely that simply decelerating the heart rate is going to improve depression. But what it does tell you is that if you're in that area that is the mood regulatory area, there's some parasympathetic cortical kind of process that's going on that gets in and, and causes this to happen. And it's, you know, it's independent of mood. You can take a normal, healthy um, individual and you can do this and they're going to decelerate their heart rate. I'm so glad you mentioned the parasympathetic nervous system, which of course is the, most people think of as the rest and digest or the kind of calming side of the autonomic nervous system. As I'm hearing you say all of this, and in particular, what you just told me, which is that it's not as if having a lower heart rate protects you against depression or a higher heart rate is associated with depression, although at the extremes that might be true, but rather it's something about the regulatory network, the ability to control 
your own nervous system to some extent. Mm -hmm. um, and when I think about the autonomic nervous system, I like to think about it as a seesaw yeah. of you know alertness and calmness. And when you're asleep, it's very, a lot of calmness. And when you're panicking, it's a lot of alertness to the, but that, uh, and I don't think this has ever been defined. And when I, I teach met the medical students at Stanford Neuroanatomy, I, my wish is that someday I'll be able to explain what the hinge in that process would be, right? Yeah. Not the ends of the seesaw. We know what the sympathetic nervous system yeah. is and what it's to wake us up and make us panic or make us feel nicely alert and calm. We know what puts someone into sleep or a coma or makes them feel relaxed. But what shifts from one side of the seesaw to the other and the tightness of that hinge seems to be what you're describing, that, yeah. that depression is sort of a lack of control over inner state so that when I'm stressed, I can't get myself out of it. But That's when right. I'm feeling completely collapsed with exhaustion. I can't get out of bed and, and get right. motivated to do the very things that would help me get out of depression, like yep. a, a workout or social connection or thing, eat a, a quality meal, these kinds of things. Yeah. So this is perhaps the first time that I've ever um, heard about a potential circuit for the hinge, as I'm referring to it. Does that make yeah, any sense yeah, absolutely, at all? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. I just want to make sure that I'm yeah, framing this correctly in my yeah, mind. Yeah, okay. absolutely. And in some studies, if you do the same Identical stimulation on the right dorsolateral, you can get an acceleration. You know, just kind of further confirming this idea of lateralization, right? That that even it appears that even the prefrontal cortex, you know, cortical uh, areas seem to be lateralized in this in this way. And I, you know, it's um, it's less uh, the right finding is is more variable depending upon the study. The left's very consistent in this way. Um, so, uh, so we've talked about Sharon's cranial man. And at least for me, that also makes it quite clear. I'm sorry for not talk, talking that much and <laughs> basically not being able to, to add something, add something of value. But it makes it very clear then why meditation and mindfulness and I would also say exercise is so useful, also so important uh, for the depression and depressive people because what i see is yes meditation and mindfulness and you know you know pro probably every other um way uh, every other you know maybe the technique is so useful because you are able then to control your state your inner state a bit better and uh, i think this is the same thing with exercise i would argue and i'm just thinking I mean, I've been exercising on a regular basis for like, I don't know, basically my whole life, I'd say, whether it is riding my bike or um, working out and, and whatever. But I think breathing and heart rate and, you know, when your heart rate goes up, when your heart rate goes down and whatever, it is something I think athletes recognize, realize and see. And again, I think they are more mindful about it. They they just you know recognize it more and and um, and I think they also can control it. I mean, when I know what makes my heart rate go go slower or go down, um, you know maybe breathing calmly, maybe just you know looking at, at some things, uh, just just having this ability to see things and recognize things as as always. And I've been talking about that for trillions of times. I think is the first step to being able to change something about that. You know when I know. I do this, that, and the other thing, and then my heart goes down, or uh, I feel a certain way, I can do something about it. But when I don't know about it, then I can't use it, I can't leverage this information because I don't have the information. So, um, 
and it kind of also underlines like the whole mind and body connection even though in this sense is it then really a connection and not just okay i know my body very well and so i'm using this knowledge of my body and um, you know get it into a different topic i get it into the topic of my mind and and my uh, my mood um but but there is a connection i think it, it becomes quite clear you know people that um you know maybe actually also in the way of of just this this lane that or this this road that is having two lanes you know one down and one up so uh when i what did i want to say fuck <laughs> um when i'm when i'm exercising no not when i'm exercising well i don't know what i want to say it was actually something quite good to be honest let's see let's see if there's something else that prefrontal cortex and cognitive control yeah maybe Medit stimulation for getting into these networks and and i also just want to take a brief tangent and say i because i've heard you say this before i think it's so vital what you're saying that it's really not about stimulation of areas it's or any specific brain area or vagus nerve being important per se. It's really about a network, a connection, a series of connections. I think that's really important for people to understand and is a, kind of a new emerging theme, really. Yeah. The, the other thing that to me seems extremely important for us to consider is what, ex what are these lateral prefrontal cortices doing are they involved for instance in sensation sensing the heart rate are they involved in and also as far as i know uh meditation does build gray matter i think might be wrong there but i'm gonna look it up then and might also affect the prefrontal cortex specifically but i would have to um to to look it up again and and confirm that thinking and planning and this gets down to a very simple question that I know a lot of people have, which is, can we talk ourselves out of depression if it's mild? Can we uh, talk ourselves into a manic state or an excited state, a positively excited state that doesn't qualify as mania? You know, other areas of the brain, I, I think of they is responsible for perception or for, for motor control. But here we are in this mysterious frontal cortex yeah. area, which people say executive function, planning, yeah. et cetera. Are we talking about thoughts? Are we talking about structured thoughts or are we talking about dreamlike thoughts? What in the world is going on in the prefrontal cortex? Yeah, yeah, no, and here I spend my career, you know, in neuroscience and I still I, I still can't really understand what it's doing. And maybe it's doing fifty things. Yeah, no, it's a great it's a great question. So, you know, to so one of the one of the studies that, that we've been working on in addition to the depression work is actually trying to change trait hypnotizability so um, david spiegel and i have been working on this and um you know he's found and uh, published this 10 years ago that a different part of the left dorsolateral um, is functionally connected with the anterior the dorsal anterior cingulate uh, with a lot of functional connectivity in high hypnotizables and not much in low hypnotizables and that's a different kind of a different subregion within this bigger brain region we call left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex than the part that seems to be important for regulating mood. And so the left dorsolateral seems to have connections that are location specific within the 
overall kind of named brain region that connect to various parts of the cingulate and seem to regulate it, right? And so if you knock out the left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex and you have people do the Stroop task, for instance, which is a, a task where you have, it's a simple task, you probably know this, you have people name the color of words. And so if I, if I look at a, what, you know, if I look at one of the cards that they'll show you, it'll have the word red in red, and that's very easy, and that's a, called a congruent. And then the incongruent is red in the color blue, and you have to name, you have to say the, the word, you don't um, name the color. So you have to suppress a response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And so, um, I'm sorry, you do the, you, you name the color and you, you, and you see the word written um, in a different way. And so basically, um, if, you, if you stimulate in a way that inhibits the left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex or either one, you can actually knock out the ability to do that well and it'll take longer for people on the incongruent cards to uh, to be able to name it, and so they have uh, they have a, a kind of a time delay that's greater than they had before they got stimulated. So that's a part of the the prefrontal cortex that's different than the part of the prefrontal cortex that's involved in mood regulation. The nice thing about TMS is that you can go through and you can find these areas that are functionally defined through brain imaging, and you can perturb them and answer the question you're talking about. How do I understand this part of the prefrontal cortex and its function, this part? And so we were able to stimulate in, in an inhibitory way within the left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex that's involved with you know, this sort of cognitive control um, area, and we were able to knock that area out and, um, and increase trait hypnotizability so people had uh, greater... Um, hypnotizability after they got active stimulation versus when they got sham. And so it suggests that that brain circuit is involved in the, uh, in the process of what hypno, you know, therapeutic hypnosis ends up being. But it's a very different region within the left dorsolateral than, say, we do when we do these very intensive uh, stimulation approaches to treat severe depression. And we're able to get people out of depression um, you know, with the part of the, of the dorsolateral that seems to be lower in the, you know, kind of more lateral um, and, um, and um, inferior on the uh, DLPFC and connected with the subgenual anterior cingulate, so the part of the anterior cingulate that processes emotion. I'd like to take a quick break and acknowledge... Athletic Greens, AG1, apparently that's the new name. But yeah, um, this is going to be it with the episode. It's already quite long as far as I can see, can can judge that. I quickly, while I'm doing the auto, um, I really hope that I've been able, or at least Andrew um, was able um, to, to point out and or shine some light onto ideas, thoughts, um, you know, maybe then also yeah. techniques or things you, you could be doing uh, to, to feel better, to um, work on, on certain things and um, yeah with that being said I wish you the best and hopefully see you soon and I was just googling something I'm sorry 
So how does meditation affect the prefrontal cortex? Studies show that regular meditation thickens your prefrontal cortex, prevents it from shrinking with age, and also improves its connection with other areas of the brain, like the amygdala helping you regulate emotions better. Yada, yada, yada. Um, of course, taking this with a grain of salt, even though they say like studies have shown and whatever, uh, yeah, cool, nice, whatever, just show me the studies and I want to read them on my own. But uh, yeah, just pointing it out for further shining lights on ideas, thoughts, uh, potential wisdom and whatever. But yeah, I'm hopefully going to see you next time. So have a good day. Bye-bye.